The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Steve Joll and the Art of War Coaches. Hiya folks and welcome to The Art of War. This is the podcast that aims to make you a better player by looking at lists and looking at armies and the strategies behind the lists and the strategies behind all of the armies. We do this podcast with the best players in the game, players that have won tournaments with the lists that we're talking about. My name's Steve Joel. I'm your co-host, along with the current number one player in the ITC, John Lennon. How are you? Hello, hello. I am doing fantastic. I'm ready to go. I am excited. I'm actually extremely excited about both the guest and the army that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. Uh, Before we get to our guest and the army that we're going to be talking about today, a couple of quick questions for you. List is submitted now for the LVO and uh, excitement is building and frantically thousands of people around the states and around the world are painting models and putting the finishing touches and probably now thinking that they made some mistakes in the list they submitted and uh, regretting some choices. <laughs> so are we able to reveal to the world what the number one player in the ITC is taking to the LVO? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, I'll say it. Um, I spent uh, the last couple months uh, getting ahead, painting all of my Force of the Hive mind, getting everything ready. I can even tell you that on Sunday morning, I was building models for my forces list, but something happened. And 24 hours later, I submitted a custodies list. But I somehow <laughs> have less models to paint now. I only have yeah, 20 right. left. Like, this is easy. <laughs> wow. I think that's going to surprise some people. So John Lennon's taking custodies, uh, and we can focus on that another. I think that's, that conversation is for another podcast, the, the, the whys and the wherefores of custodies and what's going to make them great. Uh, but that's interesting, and I know lots of people uh, will have had exactly that same change of heart, although not today's guest, because today's guest has been playing, I want to say, the same army or the same, the, at least the same um, the same codex for a long time, even has his own channel that focuses on it. So let's just introduce him right off the bat. Matt Evans, thank you for joining us. Hello, hello. How's it going? Yeah, it's going really well. Tell us... Uh, First of all, about your channel, Into the Hive Mind. Let's get that out of the way and, and do a little plug for that. Yeah, um, just a basic YouTube channel, pretty low production value. It might as well be a podcast, but uh, in case people enjoy looking at my face, then uh, there's a little bit of video to it as well. But it's basically just me going over um, list ideas that I've been having, tournaments that I've been attending, and just tyrannids in general, and all my thoughts on it, um, of which I have a lot, because I have been playing... <laughs> Tyranids for about 16 years at this point. So, Yeah, so you've got every single model and every single unit. And uh, specifically today, we're going to be talking about the Crusher Stampede, which we'll get to in a second. For folks who are new to the Art of War podcast, I just want to let you know, uh, this works in two parts. So this episode has two parts to it. The first part is where Matt is going to take us through his list. And we're going to look at everything that goes into making that list amazing and, and why it works and how it works. Uh, by the way, we should mention the reason we've got Matt on. I should have said this right at the start, Matt. I'm sorry. Is because you've just won a GT with your Crusher Stampede list. Well, I uh, I did go undefeated. I actually took second place. Uh, my teammate Ben Neal took first, but uh, yes, I did go undefeated with the Crusher Stampede, and uh, was a very nice tournament, five rounds, and I did beat Rich Kilton in that final fifth round, which okay, uh, this was a very big win for me. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to say uh, you went undefeated then. I should have I should have done my research better. I watched your channel. I watched your report, and I was sure that you said you came first and your buddy came second. Other way around. But you went undefeated at this tournament at the GT, uh, which is a great result with your Crusher Stampede. So we'll get to that in a second. But we'll do part one of this episode is where we go through the list, what makes it great, why you've made the choices you have, which units are there, which units, very some very obvious ones, are not there and why you've left those out in favor of other things, other choices you've made. Uh, so we'll go through all of that. And it's a real, particularly for Tyranids players, this is a real lesson in list building and putting things together and how it all plays on the table. Then in part two of this episode, that's where we're going to find out how your army plays into other top armies that are out there at the moment. We're thinking Grey Knights and Thick City and the Fast Drukhari and... I don't know if we're going to touch on custodies. Maybe maybe not. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but there are lots of other options 
uh, out there that you could come up against. So we'll look at that as well. So part one is free. Part one is available. And if you're listening to it right now, thank you for tuning into this. Part two, uh, we put out for subscribers only. So here's how you get that. You go to theartofwar40k.com and you sign up. There's lots of great packages available, which means you can listen to the part two of all of the different podcasts that are out there. Unbroken is one of them. The Art of War Down Under is another one. Lots of expert hosts, lots of great coaching available at theartofwar40k.com. Lots of great content on the YouTube channel too. If you haven't seen that, please go and check it out. So let's crack on with this. Um, Matt, maybe first of all, you can tell us a bit about the event that you went undefeated at, how many players, how it went for you, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, the event was in Salt Lake City. It was called the Warhound GT, and I believe it had 46 players registered. Uh, So it was a five-round event across two days, three games day one, two games day two. And they were using all of the uh, LVO missions and the way to set up player place terrain. And they also had purchased, all their terrain was purchased from the LVO site. So we were, it was very much an LVO practice event. Everyone brought all their LVO armies. Uh, So very high field, um, just not, it wasn't like a hundred person event, but it was uh, 40 plus people. And yeah, just, Great people all around. We did have the uh, top stream that was from the uh, New Orleans event. The same people that ran the stream there actually ran the stream here. And that was right. a fantastic table to be next to. Yeah. Well, listen, and you did so well at it. Um, and we'll find out which armies you came up against in part two of this and, and how they played out. Um, run us through the list then, top to bottom. Well, actually, before we run specifically through the list, maybe you and John can both, uh, between you, talk about the Crusher Stampede. And why this is suddenly a big thing, uh, tell us, you know, what's changed in the world to make Crusher Stampede. John, can we start with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I I feel like if you perhaps were just paying attention to all the codexes coming out, and then you maybe took a little Christmas vacation, right? You went to see your family. Maybe you maybe you just didn't go to a tournament for a week or two, right? It, forgivable. I, I haven't either. Uh, maybe you would have missed Crusher Stampede. Came out in a white dwarf, came out in December. Wasn't a lot of fanfare from GW until it happened. A lot of fanfare from the community after it happened. But uh, a little bit of love for Tyranids right on the heels of Leviathan Supplement. And especially for all these big monsters. Um, Just to give a quick, quick summary of what Crusher Stampede does for the army. Basically, you have to take three wound models and more on everything. So Gaunts are gone, Genestars are gone, Warriors and Neurothropes and big, big bugs are in. And everything gets a five up invul. And if you happen to be a big monster, you get minus one damage. And you get a whole suite of stratagems. In addition, all those big bugs count as multiple models on objectives. They count equal to their wound count. And that is nasty. Um, there's a ton of good yeah. stratagems that came in with it. I'm sure that we'll talk a lot about those, which ones Matt uses the most. But uh, all of a sudden, all those big bugs that have been collecting dust, I, I actually literally took an airbrush, didn't put paint through it, and dusted off models for when I was practicing <laughs> with Crusher Stampede. I'm, I'm not even lying. Yeah. I was like, hmm, let me put a little extra paint on this. And there's just dust. I'm like, Oh, wow. I've now been playing long enough to have dust on my Tyranids. I suspect Matt went through the same thing because I've looked through the list that you've got and you must have, you must have, when that uh, White Dwarf magazine came out, you must have gone through the shelves, pulled models off there that you haven't used in a very long time. Absolutely. Um, Harpy being the probably oldest one. Uh, <laughs> so my list includes two Harpies in it, and I have definitely not played those guys since the uh, Sky Swarm of 6th edition. Yeah. Um, so I do have three harpies and three crones. Uh, unfortunately, the crones I think are still sitting on the shelf, but the harpies are absolutely great, and their speed is one of the things that I um, built most of my list around. But the Crusher Stampede in general makes every Tyranid monster viable, and it's so much fun to just go through all these models I haven't played in years, and just have a fresh look at everything. It's great. You used to have a way to make one model uh, get a five-up invol, um, but now everyone gets it, so you can put your efforts into other places. All right, take us through the list. Top to bottom, what do you got? Yeah, um, so it's just a single battalion, uh, High Fleet Leviathan, so that way we can still benefit from all the Leviathan stratagems from the first Warzone Octarius book. Um, the downside of bringing the Army of Renown is you do lose your High Fleet trait, so because of that, you don't get the Leviathan six-up feel-no-pain. Um, and really the only option that you're looking at for high fleets is what stratagem support that they have. 
And Leviathan, because of Warzone Octarius, has far and away way more stratagems than any other high fleet. So everyone will be taking Leviathan. Um, can I? Sorry, Matt. Can I ask what is what does Army of Renown mean when you're building your list? Um, how do you get an Army of Renown, and why would you take that and give up your six up Vilna thing? Yeah, so um, an army of renown basically means you're not allowed to take any allies or any other sub-factions. Your entire army needs to be this one specific force that supposedly is uh, fluffy and flavorful and similar to the lore. Um, so the Crusher Stampede is one of these army of renowns based around building monsters. So because of that, the restrictions, as John said, you need at least three wound models. Um, swarms also don't count, so... I know John loves his Sky Slashers, but <laughs> uh, yep, unfortunately can't bring those. And But you do get to bring uh, the Nidzilla back from way back in like 5th edition. And basically all these big monsters get the massive benefits. Again, as John said, a 5-up inborn army-wide. And then your monsters get minus 1 damage and count as number of models as they have wounds remaining, which is such a huge buff in itself. You don't even need the stratagems in my opinion, but then the stratagems are also top notch. Um, right. And yeah, it's, it's just fantastic for Tyranids. I, I've got All to right. put a little, a little call out on that part. The, uh, the counting as the number of uh, wounds remaining for models. That was actually the biggest part. I've played a couple games with Crusher Stampede because I love Tyranids and I want to at least put it on the table. Uh, it, it, that part alone was like as impactful as you could imagine where because Leviathan can make something obsec, I'll you know I'll just I'll spoil the lead now. There's a stratagem for that. Uh, it's so amazing to have like an 18 wound Demacaron, a 12 wound a Harpy, a 12 wound Swarmlord, perhaps just to be like, yeah, I've got you know Intercessor Squad plus worth of obsec, and there's nothing you can do about it. You you don't contest objectives against the Crusher Stampede. You don't contest. Yeah, even yeah. better than the Knights change, maybe. Yeah. Um, you you start out better than the knights, and then your opponent can at least whittle you down. But right. it most of the time, it's very nice. Okay, sorry. Now I I distracted us. So let's get back to this list. What's in it? Of course. Um, so again, it's just a single battalion, and it's led by the swarm lord and two flyrants. Uh, the swarm lord has the onslaught and catalyst psychic powers, and then one of my flyrants is kind of my murder flyrant. He's my warlord with uh, the Crusher Stampede Warlord trait for D3 extra attacks. That has always been one of the downsides of Tyranids, is just the Tyranid monsters have never had enough attacks, so D3 extra is a huge boost. Um, and then in Psychic Powers, he has um, the Horror and Paroxysm. The reason for this is he's the killy guy, he's the one that's going right up to the front lines, so having those offensive Psychic Powers on him uh, fits the best. Uh, he also has the... Uh, Leviathan Relics uh, Bone Swords that ignore Inbones and Murderous Size to make that AP3 so it's actually viable because unfortunately Bone Swords are only AP2 so ignoring Inbones doesn't do much until you give him Murderous Size then he's AP3 and can actually kill things. Um, the other flyer is more um, just kind of my Psychic Battery. He's very durable with the Biomorphic Carapace Relic which makes him minus one to wound. Um, I did give him wings just to keep him mobile and be able to put the psychic powers where I want. But the psychic powers he has are the two new powers from the Crusher Stampede, uh, both of which are just buffing powers. The first one gives D3 extra attacks to a, another melee monster. Um, I can't even stack that on my Warlord, so he gets plus 2D3 and becomes a real murder machine. <laughs> uh, and then his other power is reroll all hit rolls. Now, unfortunately, this is for non-Synapse characters or non-synapse creatures. So it basically only goes on, I can't put it on any of my Hive Tyrants, uh, but it, it goes on the Hara Specs. So the Hara Specs is kind of my unique shoe-in. Um, I actually was playing the Hara Specs in 8th edition when no one else was, because uh, giving him a murderous size on, the, on his mouth makes it Strength 8, AP 2 for D3 plus 1 damage, and just puts out a bucket load of attacks. and the problem with the Harspex always was he's a combat monster that moves seven inches. So you either had to, before, give him Dermic Symbiosis to make him survivable uh, with that five-up invuln, or give him Murderous Size to actually make him killy. Now, because of the Crusher Stampede, he's 
got the survivability so you can spend the murderous size, make him killy. And uh, it's actually really good, especially with the D3 extra attacks, rerolling all hits, plus one to hit from Warrior Bioweapon Bond. Uh, you could just stack all these buffs and turn them into an absolute blender. But So he's the only one in the elite choice as far as monsters. Uh, you also have two lictors just to do rod, engage, typical secondaries. Um, a pyrovore in the list to basically do the exact same thing just on my side of the table. And then in the troops, it's three units of three warriors, all bare bones, just double sighting talons, just to fill out the troop choice. And then they all have the bioweapon bond synaptic link. That's just to give plus one to hit to everything. Um, anything getting plus one to hit is really good, but then especially if they have guns and a uh, combat presence, because it stacks, it lasts for both phases and it lasts until your next command phase. So just doubling up on uh, anything with guns, that plus one to hit is amazing. So because of that, I also have two Barbteria duels. These guys are just insane with the new Crusher Stampede rules. Uh, 18 wounds with a five up invul and minus one damage, two up armor. They become ridiculous to shift. Uh, those new Tau guns might have a chance, but <laughs> until that comes out uh, after LVO, I think these uh, Barbteria duels are going to be a real pain for people to get rid of and give some uh, firepower to the list that I'm otherwise very much lacking. But basically, the Warriors give the Barbteria duels plus one to hit every single turn that they can. And then the final portion of the list are two Harpies. As I was mentioning, um, speed is actually really important. In my first few practice games that I did, I did not have really any speed at all, and I was just going for bodies. And I got in my own way with all my monsters because all of these guys are really big models. And if they're trying to go between buildings, they'd get stuck. So having that fly ability and being able to just zoom across the board, um, it gets me engage points. And I can basically wait for the right moment to strike with these harpies because one of the most amazing stratagems that the Crusher Stampede gets is uh, breaking through, which is one CP. And you get to roll a number of dice equal to the number of wounds you have remaining. And essentially on a four plus, you do uh, mortal wounds up to a cap of six. You get plus one to that roll if your strength is higher than your opponent's toughness, minus one to that roll if your strength is lower than their toughness. So harpies being strength six, um, against any big targets like tanks or knights or anything, you're going to be doing those mortals on fives. But what the harpies are really good at is character hunting. So you fly 30 inches across the board, you charge that key character that your opponent has, and you just do six mortals on the charge and pick up that character. And your opponent doesn't really have a recourse for it. Um, and it's just extremely effective. And then also they just have a harpy in their lines that they don't want to kill. But if they don't, it's just going to be tagging things and continuing to do mortals all day long. So they have to throw their weapons at it, which then keeps the rest of your army uh, more survivable and more important pieces living longer. I cannot tell you how much I hate the sound of that thing. <laughs> it's horrific. It's, it's pretty terrifying. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, listen, there's one thing, a couple of questions, but one thing we haven't covered off from the list that we skipped over a little bit, uh, Swarmy the Swarmlord. Yes. I don't know if we mentioned that. Um, so Swarmlord is, has always been good. Um, even when he was 300 points of double moving is... He was the basis of 8th edition lists and Tyranids by double-moving gene stealers all day long. Uh, being able to keep that ability in what is essentially now a 9th edition codex with all the new updates from Warzone Octarius uh, is something that no other army has. So being able to double-move across the board and still charge is just good no matter what the model is. Um, but especially in my list, it's the Hara Specs most of the time. Uh, just being because that's the biggest downside of the horror specs is only his seven inch move. So Swarmlord being able to throw that T8 combat blender into um, in turn one is just really good. And if my opponent is playing something like Gene Steeler Colt with the blips or anything that's trying to screen out my army um, or my specifically my harpy, Swarmlord can double move them to really get to any position in the board and just be able to mortal wound whatever I want. And he's very effective at doing that. And especially now with the Crusher Stampede rules, he's more durable than ever. Um, he actually lives till the end of the game in almost every game I've played. And that's fantastic. Yeah, 
That's that's a big deal. The other questions I had were, you mentioned a few um, psychic powers and we didn't explain what they do. Uh, for example, we were talking about horror, the horror and paroxysm being on your your uh, big flyer that goes in and, and he becomes the, the real combat beast. So what do those particularly do? Yeah, so the horror is um, probably the, what, the lesser of the two. And basically, you just pick an enemy unit within 24 and they are minus one to hit and minus one leadership. Leadership shenanigans have never really done much, but uh, the minus one to hit um, depending on if what your opponent has, you basically just pick one big thing that you're actually scared of because your list is very monster heavy. Um, the whole list idea is target saturation. So what little units you have that your opponent has that you are afraid of, just make them minus one to hit and that reduces their effectiveness quite a bit. Um, and because he's going to be up in the front lines, he can basically have his pick of enemy units to do that too. And then paroxysm, um, is the one I probably use more often, and that's just straight up fight last. Pick an enemy unit. They can't fight until everyone else has. And it's because he's now durable enough, he can actually survive multiple rounds of combat, so you want to be sure that you're fighting before your opponent does to really get that full value in there. Yeah, the, the, those are both both pretty good, right? And then putting them on that guy is just like, oh, man, he becomes just terrifying. Um, the other ones we mentioned briefly, Catalyst and Onslaught, which are on other various uh, HQs that you've got. Yeah, they're both. On, those are both on the Swarm Lord. Um, so Onslaught on Swarm Lord is very synergistic with his double moving. Basically, you're already going to have a monster within six inches of him for him to then double move. So he just then gives them Onslaught to move them just that little bit faster. Onslaught allows you to advance and charge. Um, it also allows you to advance and fire assault weapons, but in this list, that's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it's, it's really for advancing and charging. And if my opponent has any psychic denial at all, I basically will not advance um, in my movement phase, and then I'll cast Onslaught, and then once I have it off, then I will advance with my second move. Uh, just because that's the biggest feel bad of Onslaught is you advance and then your opponent, you cast Onslaught and your opponent denies and now your monster is just sitting there unable to do anything. Right. Um, and so, then Catalyst is just fantastic. Five up feel no pain. Added durability on whatever you need to survive the most. Yeah, that's amazing. And that durability, which has already increased, suddenly goes up by a million. Um, yes. The other question I have, like I feel like quite an important question, is how how reliable are these psychic powers? I feel like a lot of them are reasonably important in the list, so how reliably are they being cast? Um, well, basically, every power has an 18-inch range. Uh, vast majority of them do not require line of sight, and all cast on a 6. Okay. So, um, do you have do ways not... of making that uh, more reliable? Can you get plus one to your cast anywhere, or stratagems that will help? Um, I could, through a relic. I did not take any relics to do that. Um, so just good old CP reroll is basically <laughs> the best thing. Um, that is probably one of the weaknesses to my list is if I have a really bad psychic phase, it can hurt a lot. And uh, in probably my closest matchup of the tournament, that actually happened where I was going up against sisters and my opponent just rolled a six to deny on like four times a turn. And it got kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. That 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 becomes rough, right? And that that's kind of what I mean is the um, uh, that psychic phase. If it is really important to your army, if you do, if your psychic phase just sucks, then then suddenly you've really got to go into damage control mode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the list is durable enough that it can probably survive one bad psychic phase, and hopefully the next one's better. But two or three bad psychic phases throughout the game puts you in a pretty rough position. All right. Well, that. That's a really, really good summation of the list and, and how it works together. And you've even given us a pretty good rundown of of how the different buffs and uh, and things work together. I'm pretty sure John has a couple of questions for you. I, I do indeed. I actually wanted to ask a quick question. Uh, do you have monstrous size, uh, monstrous size on both the Hive Tyrant and the Horror Specs? Yeah, so it's on the Warlord Hive Tyrant and the Horror Specs. My second Flyer Int does not have any, so he's just... Base strength six, but gotcha. Do you want to explain uh, how you get both adaptations in? Because I I know recently we've mostly seen lists that only have one adaptation, although it certainly is possible to get two. Yeah. Um, so basically, you how you get the adaptations are the original way is you forego your warlord trait to then get an adaptation, and then for one CP you can get a second one. 
it is you can only use that set stratagem uh, once. So you have a max of two, but you do have to give up your warlord trait to do that. Now I have a warlord trait, and I have that by basically I spent a CP for the alpha leader beast, which is from the warzone Octarius to give you a Leviathan warlord trait, and I have foregone that war- Leviathan warlord trait for a second adaptation. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. There I are know. a couple of. Sorry, John, go ahead. No, uh, I, I was going to say, um, it's. I, I was actually going to ask you about how you weigh the adaptation versus the Leviathan Warlord trait. Uh, obviously, the, with the Leviathan, there are two Warlord traits that really have you know seen a lot of competitive play: the Chapter Master ability and the Redeploy. And now, in this list, the Chapter Master doesn't make much sense because it doesn't work on monsters. And there's a uh, well, we've already determined the theme of the army. But uh, I am curious, uh, how did you weigh the adaptation versus Redeploy? Yeah. Um... Basically, because my list it basically goes for target saturation, redeploying two models doesn't actually do much. My opponent is still going to always have a target to shoot at, um, was essentially my thought process there. That normally the redeploy um, in my regular Tyranid list, um, you always want to redeploy and the chapter master rerolls with your Hive Guard, especially um, because this list doesn't have Hive Guard and the but again, your opponent will always have something to shoot. The redeploy doesn't seem nearly as worthwhile, in my opinion. Since you've brought up Hiveguard, how come no Hiveguard? I feel like if you're looking at a Tyranid list these days, you kind of expect six Hiveguard minimum, and then from there, you know, it could go up to 18. So how come none for you? Um, really personal preference. Um I roll terribly with Hiveguard. I think I've heard that Nick has the same problem. He just... (laughs) uh, I think it's user error. Yeah, well, uh, my Hiveguard have just never been all that great. Um, And most of the people that I play with, my teammates, all play very fast lists. And my Hiveguard end up getting tagged by turn two um, almost every game. And especially with this list, with the Crusher Stampede, you're running just a bunch of monsters. You have very few actual screens to protect your hive guard and because of that uh and just their price point 270 points is an entire 18 wound monster <laughs> um so that's i basically went for a barbed hero duel over the hive guard um probably less damage throughout the course of the game but a lot more reliable in terms of being able to be active throughout the entire game and yeah it's really just because there's no screen in the Crusher Stampede, I'm worried about them getting tagged. Uh, because especially Drukhari, um, other Tyranids with Flyerants, any, anything that's super fast with Fly can just tag them and shut them down for the whole game. Yeah, and you know the other element of that is that uh, Hiveguard are a little bit of a command point sink, right? Oh yeah, If absolutely. you're going to use them, if you're want to get Mass Effect, like whenever I take Hiveguard, I'm going to be honest, I, I take units that don't, necessarily rely on a lot of command points and then i take hive guard and then i funnel command points into hive guard and let them do their thing you know i just like every Absolutely. turn i kind of like tell my opponent like hey i'm just going to set these three cp aside so that i can just crank the lever and we're just going to pull yeah. that hive guard lever every turn until i run out of cp or you run out of models and the crusher stampede is insanely cp intensive um all the strats are just so good that you're probably out by turn two if you're not i mean and then if you have hive guard you're out turn one guaranteed you you start the game with nine CP. So since you brought it up, what are the what are the stratagems? You've mentioned you've kind of touched on a couple, but talk us through the the ones that you're going to bang out every turn, or the ones that you're at least going to use every game. That the the reliable strats that you need. Yeah. Um, so the most obvious one is breaking through. That's the one CP essentially do six mortals. It it might as well say that for how effective it is at. Uh, in this list, you again, you roll number of dice equal to your wounds remaining. Every four up, you do a mortal wound cap to six. But because you're sitting here with monsters with 12 wounds or 18 wounds, uh, you're, you're basically just doing six mortals guaranteed. Uh, if you roll low, you'll get five. And that's for one CP is probably one of the best strategies of the game right now. Uh, and I expect it to be nerfed, but for now it's not. And <laughs> might as well run with it. Um, so that one, every single turn you can, definitely. Um, some of the other ones is for 2CP, you have a fight and death stratagem for non-characters. This is, I essentially just let my opponent know that I have this, and it's the fear factor of 
Um, I throw my horror specs right in their lines and I say, I dare you to charge this because even if you kill me, I get a fight on death and it, with this new stratagem, it's even on top bracket. So I will put the psychic power for reroll all hit rolls on him. I will give him plus one to hit and I will uh, just throw him up the board. He doesn't even have to charge anything, just the threat of him being there. And I say, you you can't charge this because he'll kill you when he fights on death. So then my opponent sinks all of their shots into him and he is toughness eight with a five up invuln and 13 wounds. So um, I often don't even have to use those CP, but just the threat of that stratagem is normally enough. And then um, there is a transhuman stratagem that I don't, I have not used yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's two CP for monsters with 10 or more <clears throat> wounds. And, uh, but you can get transhuman. I have yet to use it. I don't think it's really worthwhile, but it's there in case the option were or the uh, scenario were ever to arise. The honestly, the other stratagems that I use, um, I'll use metabolic overdrive all day long. That's just from the original Tyranid Codex. It's just double move, and you can't uh, you can't shoot or charge. But just to position your monsters to be a threat next turn, uh, because you're durable, you can actually get there, and your opponent either has to sink their entire army into it turn one, or ignore it. And um, just that redeploy mobility of Tyranids is huge. Um, I don't. I don't feel like you can ignore a barbed hierodule. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not, not for very long. Now it's right. Or even the harpies. I mean, this thing of. I, look, and I've said this before, and people, if you, if this is the first time people are listening to the Art of War podcast, I am not by any stretch a top tier player. I pretty much play the same army all the time, which is Space Wolves. I look at the Harpy. What you're talking about, that's my uh, HQs, which is the whole basis of my army. <laughs> you're going to charge one of my guys and get rid of him straight away, which takes away the fight last and all the other. Anyway, we can cover that later. But just looking at the threats across the board, which is exactly what you're talking about, you've got the Harpies, which could wipe out my HQs. You've got the barbed hieroduels. You've got all these other uh, monsters. Your winged hive tyrant is just... <laughs> terrifying so it is it it's what do you focus on what do you look at how aggressive are you as a player are you are you the way you're talking it sounds like you're just of a mind to launch stuff across the board as fast as possible get into the other guy's lines and then just make them face up so it depends on what army you're fighting against most of the time that is exactly what i do and i just say hey i've got eight monsters that all have a five up invul minus one damage they're in your face right now what are you going to do about it and that is very much a valid strategy. Um, against certain opponents, though, like Grey Knights, they very much can kill you in combat. Um, so you you do have to be a little more cagey um, in certain matchups like that. But most of the time, I am very aggressive, and I will often just send the two Harpies um, to movement block, if nothing else, right in front of my opponent's face and say, hey, this is what you're killing this turn. Um, the Flyrants are really the only thing that I can be conservative with i will end up basically just keeping them in the back because they're so mobile they they fly 16 inches um i can hold back for the prime target for those guys to hit uh, but if my opponent doesn't have a massive melee threat then absolutely turn one it's two harpies and my warlord flyrant double moving into your face and charging you and often just nail in the coffin right from the get-go uh, right well that does sound pretty aggressive Yes, very much so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I know Steve was already a little bit scared of that fight on death, but I I actually have to put a little a little plug in there just to let everyone else know because I I would feel bad if someone was caught off guards. Um, the, uh, a lot of the fight lot, fight on deaths that have come out in ninth edition have this little caveat: when this model is selected after, like if it hasn't been selected to fight, it has like that little keyword on it, like repentia. You know, you can't charge in fight and then fight on death. You get one or the other. They just kind of didn't put that line in this stratagem. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll be honest, you can, you can charge something, do all your swings, and then, well, maybe they kill you back, you, bit off, you charge three different targets, that's fine, two CP, let's just swing it again. Don't even worry about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Steve, you will never be safe, I'm so sorry. No, look, that's, and it sounds like I'm not the only one, there's plenty of armies that have, that have eaten that. Uh, so, listen, how do, you, how do you get, it's all very well to charge another player and do a lot of damage and pose a lot of threats but how are you getting your points so i i'm looking at the lictors in the list and thinking 
you know, maybe you've got retrieve octarius data up your sleeve, although that's changing soon too. But what are your what are your secondaries that you're looking at? Yeah. Um, well, my team we joke around that tabling is the only objective, and this list list does do that very well. But uh, in all seriousness, uh, the lictors are huge. In that, I do take engage and retrieve octarius data almost every game. Um, sometimes I will swap out engage for stranglehold depending on the mission. But the lictors, while I still have them, um, this will all change obviously as soon as uh, LVO is over. But while I still have them, the lictors are fantastic, especially now with a five up invuln. They can they take more than two bolt guns to kill now. <laughs> three. Um, yeah, <laughs> three will be the trick. No, they absolutely just deep strike in. They do rod. So I basically get 12 rod every single game. Um, and then engage is very easy between the harpies and the flyrants. And the har the barbed hero duels just hang out in your to uh, table quarters. And then, yeah, flyrants and harpies take your opponent's table quarters. Um, and if they don't, then the lictors are there. So engage basically every game rod every game and then that third secondary is always kind of a toss-up but with that added durability i have the option of taking uh to the last i don't normally because i believe that's swarm lord and my two barbed hero duels most of the time i'll end up with just swarm lord at the end um, the list is very durable it's not it's still not the most durable army out there um but basically, it's, it'll normally be a kill secondary. Um, I actually take Grind of Down all the time because the list has like 11 units. Um, and so you just basically need to kill three units a turn of your opponent's army, and they're probably only killing one or two. So Grind them Down, Engage, and Rod is essentially my main three. But if my opponent has like seven characters, I'll absolutely take Assassinate because, again, I can do those mortal wounds on the charge. Right. Funny, I look at your list and I assume Stranglehold is in there because it's just, <laughs> you're so able to move fast and take objectives and hold objectives and it's just, you know, so hard to move. <laughs> how do you how do you cope with the big bases? Like when you, I'm thinking about deployment, when you're deploying, are you like on the front, again, it depends who you're playing against and what the terrain is like, but assuming for the LVO, and that's what we're looking at at the moment, assuming player place terrain, uh, are you looking to hide some of the things, keep some of the things off the board, or do you just go, look, here it all is, treat it if you want to? Um, so basically, most of my player plays terrain, I'm actually, uh, this has changed from how I play the rest of my Tyranids. Specifically for the Crusher Stampede, I place the player plays terrain essentially in the corners and just get it out of my way uh, because all my big monsters just want to move in a straight line towards the enemy. The only thing that I hide is Swarm Lord and my Flyrants. Um, I love that so much. It's yeah. like so the opposite to everyone else and yeah. carefully placing terrain in, you know, to for line of sight blocking and things. You're and, just like, no, I don't need it. Yeah, exactly. And like that's so that's how I started out was I would I'd hide it as much as I could and I'd be like, okay, only the barbed hero duels are out in the front because you can shoot them anyways. Because they have 18 wounds, so they can't hide. So I'd put them in the front and the rest uh would all try and hide. And then the barbed hero duels would just be in the way of everyone trying to move through these small corridors that I've now created for myself. And that has since resulted in, yeah, now when I place terrain, I just put it in the corner and I, I say, I don't need that. I don't want it. It just gets in the way. Right. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I mean, obvious, the, sorry, go ahead. The, the warriors want to hide, but they're, they're pretty easy to place compared to the rest of the army. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, it's just so different to the, um, for you personally, I imagine as well, different to the way you're used to playing Tyranids. I mean, you've gotten so used to an army that could be fast, but is paper thin or, you know, has beasts, but they're not killy enough. How much of a shift is this for you just in your thinking and how much practice has it taken to get it right? It is a massive shift. And uh, I played five practice games before going to any tournaments with this list and I lost every single one of them. <laughs> Uh, I just, I could not figure out how to play the army. And that, I mean, also the people that I practice with are very high caliber players, but uh, yeah, I, I lost every single practice game. It was, it was very much a big shift in mentality because when my teammates and people have asked me since I've been playing Tyranids for so long and Tyranids have been, let's admit it, a pretty bottom army for a very long time. Uh, 
people are like, well, what would make Tyranids better? And I'm like, well, lore wise, let's just cut every single model's points in half and just have twice as many of them. <laughs> um, obviously, this is not what happened. Uh, the increased durability is such a shift from how I normally play. I very much have played um, toolbox armies where essentially every single guy in your list has a job to do. And as soon as they've done that job, they can die. You don't care anymore. Uh, they just have to do their job and then throw them away. Right. And with this list, it's just everything stays on the board a turn longer than I expect it to, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just it allows you to play the game for all five turns. Um, I, it's become kind of a running joke, especially in ninth edition, that I'm tabled by turn four, but I'll still beat you. Uh, this list is not that. <laughs> So what do you say to people who are, because, you know, and as soon as I uh, heard we were talking to you, or as soon as we arranged this chat, I kind of do a little looking around, see how you're going, see what's up with Matt Evans. And the first things that come up are all the, the, the questions that people have about the list. What do you take? You know, you win a GT or you, you go yeah. undefeated at a GT. And straight away, your list is on Blood of Kittens and it's, you know, on Facebook and people are asking questions and posting it and wanting to know about the list. So, what do you say to people who go, wow, he's done that with this list. I will copy that list. What do you say to those people? What advice do you give people who want to play the Crusher Stampede? So the Crusher Stampede is because it's durable, it's a lot more forgiving for, to mistakes. So people have asked me a lot like, hey, would you rather play the Crusher Stampede or more the uh, Devourer Gaunts Gene Stealers? Um, both lists, in my opinion, are entirely viable, but the Crusher Stampede is more beginner friendly in terms of because it allows for more mistakes since your army's durable. Um, but this list, honestly, this whole army of renown, it makes every Tyranid monster viable and wipe clean everything that you've thought about all the Tyranid monsters for the last year. Uh, Demacarons are amazing. I don't have them in this list, but they're incredible. Uh, the speed is really the main thing that I noticed I was missing from most of the monsters, which is why I have the harpies and the flyrants and essentially just make sure that you're hitting your opponent kind of in waves. Don't get in your own way. That's what I noticed through my first several games. Um, if you're just running an all melee army with no guns and everyone moves eight inches, you end up blocking yourself. Uh, Cause only all your guys just get in each other's way. You can only have so many guys in a line. Uh, at once. So basically just build your list where you have two of every type of like range band. So the harpies are that turn one hit alongside uh, maybe a double moving flyer. In. You've got the, um, the horror specs and my, and swarm Lord and the other flyer in all hit in that second wave uh, in that middle tier range band. And then the barbed hero duels are that third tier range band that basically can shoot from clear across the board. And with all those different things, um, you're no longer getting in your, your own way and you're hitting your opponent from multiple different angles. And you can just keep up the pressure throughout the entire game, uh, which also feels very fluffy for Tyranids. I'm hitting you in waves and waves and waves of monsters and it feels fantastic to play. It sounds like a lot of fun from your point of view. <laughs> definitely <laughs> not so much from the other guy one of the one of the things that i felt with crusher stampede was that um you can make everything in the army durable at the same time but you can't make everything in the list killy at the same time so i felt like there was a diminishing return for committing too many things at once where if i commit one thing i get to go in that's the thing that gets plus d3 attacks that's the thing that gets reroll hits maybe it does catalyst in a four pin vol. maybe i spend some strats on it and then, like, if I charge a second monster and that guy's just not doing much, he's going there to, like, figure out a couple weaklings, you know, to bully a little bit. He's not really going in to punch someone in the face and, you know, kick them when they're down. Uh, and then he fights on death, of course. So you get one guy that's really scary. And I, I always felt like with Crusher Stampede, if you, you really, you want to do the waves, um, you know, not only is it thematic, not only does it, like, lend itself to that, it was just the best way to do it. Um, and I'm with Matt on this. It, it is actually obscenely fun to play. <laughs> yeah, it sounds amazing. So you mentioned Dimacarons. Uh Again, this is a this is a standout thing that could easily be in the list. They're amazing, right? As you said, and and they they had this 
big renaissance, I think, probably led by John Lennon doing it on a couple of battle reports, and people uh, saw the Dimacorans and went, oh, they look amazing. So they're not in there. Uh, are there. Are there units that you are, you know, you've played with and then left out for any given reason? Let's start with those and, and tell us if there are any others. Yeah. Um, so the first one that I played with and ended up dropping, um, though I still think has some viability, is the Moloch. Um, the Moloch, because it deep strikes one inch away from your opponent and then counts as 12 models, he is amazing at just stealing your opponent's objective away. The biggest downside being you can't make him objective secured because the stratagem to make him objective secured is done in the command phase and he doesn't show up on the board until the end of the movement phase. So that's the downside of him. Um, but there's not actually as much obsec in the game right now as there was a year ago. Um, people are just now running very elite squads and most armies that I've seen only have two or three troop units that are obsec and then they'll have one ability to hand out obsec to their big scary punchy unit uh, so the moloch i think has a lot of play but um my initial lists included harpies and molochs and that was just too much of a good thing i guess and i liked the harpies better that just the mobility and the ability to do the mortal wounds uh one out over the moloch in my opinion right uh the just like mass carnifex spam is a list that i have written several times and never actually put on the table i keep writing it and every time i'm like those card effects are about 15 points too expensive each and i i feel like there's a list there somewhere but uh i just haven't been able to come up with it basically yeah you, you're just looking at it you're like okay in order to make this card effects good you want to give him the guns you want to give him the minus one to hit you want to make sure that he can um fight in combat at least a little bit still and in order to do all of that you're suddenly looking at 140 points you're like well for 20 points more i can be a toughness eight monster so yeah um because of that i i have not played uh i've not played a carnifex list the trigon prime is another one that i've looked at quite a bit especially if you're running your hive guard um because again the biggest fear of the hive guard is them getting tagged the Trigon Prime does have the um, synaptic link to called Feed that allows you to fall back, shoot, and charge. Um, Hiveguard is obviously the best target for this, um, but it also has uses elsewhere, including allowing himself to fall back and charge something else if needed. Um, the only way that I would run this is if I was gave him the Biomorphic Carapace for minus one to wound. And because I have that on my Flyrant for the Psychic Powers, that's the only reason why I don't have him in my list. But I do think a Trigon Prime with murderous size and a biomorphic carapace is actually entirely viable. Um, there are a lot of options. Absolutely. I honestly love that um, you're not doing my uh, Crusher Stampede list. I, unfortunately, mine is not quite as battle-tested yet. I love that we have completely different monsters. I run the McCarran Trigon Prime Maliceptor. And you've got yes. just everything else. And I, I love that. <laughs> uh, and, and to be clear, none of those units saw the board a year ago. Not, none of them. And yeah. maybe a Dean McCarran a year ago. Uh, but, man, it was... The, the Crusher Stampede was such a breath, breath of fresh air. And like you said, literally every single monster became viable. Um, we even saw the Carnifex... Uh, the Stone Crusher Carnifex from Forge World. Someone actually uh, took it in the list and did quite well. I, I have not been able to make myself put my Carnifexes back on the table yet. I uh, used to run five of them, and I just I keep rereading the data sheets, being like, ah, not today, my sons. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the Stone Crusher Carnifex is actually the one tiered model I do not own, uh, so I might need to remedy that because I've looked at it. It seems decent. Uh, the Stone Crusher Carnifex is um, pretty mediocre against most things. He's got four attacks that are AP three for three damage, uh, but against monsters and vehicles which is becoming very much the current meta uh he does flat five damage and that's just a really nice damage output for a guy that's what 135 140 points yeah uh, I, I think and, people i've even seen people take the flail and give that monster size yeah you make like a sweep of like a lot of ap uh like damage two attacks Absolutely. And that's basically what the Harispex is doing in my list. He gets his 43 attacks at strength 8 AP2, and then 
with D3 extra attacks all turning into D3 more attacks, yeah, they can just become an absolute blender. Oh, it adds up. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I feel like we, uh, we've we covered this. I really want to start asking about specific matchups now. Uh, John, is there anything else you think we need to cover off before we before we call it a day here and go into part two? No, I'm I'm just super super excited about this one. I'm I there's I've got a lot of questions and I I'd love to hear the answers. It's it's making me want to go out and get some Tyranids, I can tell you that. This is this it just sounds like such a fun list to play and something that that someone like uh, me as you say it's a bit more forgiving maybe and and you could just go go crazy with it. So, uh again, for uh folks who are not yet subscribers but are thinking about it, maybe toying with the idea if you go subscribe at theartofwar40k.com, you will be able to tune into part two of this chat where Matt is going to run us through how he plays the Crusher Stampede into so many of the other big lists that are out there. And we'll find out, and maybe you play one of those lists and you're worried about the Crusher Stampede and you want to see how that's going to go. Listen, whichever way it is, you'll get a lot out of part two if only you can join us. So go to theartofwar40k.com, sign up, get it. It's dirt cheap for all of the quality content that you're able to get, and we'd love to see you there. Uh, in the meantime, Matt, thank you very much for joining us. We want to encourage people to go to Into the Hive Mind, check out your YouTube channel, and and uh, right there, you've actually got a breakdown with your teammate and buddy who played the tower. You've got a breakdown of how that GT went, so people can really get some details on that, which is cool. Um, yeah, thanks for being here. We appreciate your time, man. Of course, thank you very much. And uh, John? You're all geared up to go in uh, part two. You've got your list of armies. We're gonna we're gonna put Matt to the test. I'm ready to rumble. <laughs> Let's all do right. it, folks. We will see you in part two. If you haven't subscribed, thank you so much for joining us for part one of this episode. This is the Art of War. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War down under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40k network. The Art of War 40k.com.